<clears throat> there's violence that's covering our land, which is like not new thought, but I think that we have gotten so used to the new state of sin and corruption that we almost don't even know how to process this kind of stuff. And I, I just talk about my own heart. I, uh, whenever I see a, a headline about something tragic that's happened, it's almost like it has to be of a certain level of tragedy for me to even read it. Uh, you know, if it's a one person or two people died, I just scroll right past. I don't even think that it's even important that two people lost their lives, passed into eternity. That doesn't seem like even important to me because we be, we see people dying, getting murdered all the time. It's like not a thing. It's got to be, you know, it's got to have a a certain you know level of intensity to it for it to even grab my attention. And then that whole process of that, I think, wow, what's happened to me? What's happened to me that uh, it doesn't matter unless it's 10 people or 20 people. Like, what is that? And uh, it's a certain callousness, you know, that that's covered my heart because we live in a, a, a society that's so uh, filled with violence, so filled with degradation. We, uh, it's funny, I think we have this culture of outrage where we get upset about the littlest things and then at the same time, we're calloused to the biggest things. And it's, it's really weird uh, time to be alive. The, the dynamics of that are really odd. And so I was just, just putting my, my broken, whatever this is, stuff before the Lord and saying, I need like, I need like real help, Jesus. I like, I need, like, really, I, I need you to cleanse me and cleanse my mind so that I can, I can beat with your heart and not with callousness or outrage. It's just really bizarre that those two things are so prevalent. We have a culture of outrage at the same time we're callous. And so it's stuff that has to be, it has to be ultimately shocking for it to even get our attention. And at the same time we get upset so, so easily. And I'm just like, I, I need, I need you to bring me, to, to center me, to bring me back to what's important to you. And so, um, I want to draw our attention to a few verses that can help give us clarity on heaven's uh, mentality, heaven's heart in regard to these kind of things. And so um, I just read them, and if you want to look at them, you can, or if you want to write them down, you can, or if you want to run out of here, that's fine too. Genesis uh, 6.11, it's right in the passage where the Lord's describing the flood and the corruption of all humanity. And uh, the Lord uses this phrase. He says, the earth 
was corrupt before God and the earth was, and this is the phrase, filled with violence, filled with violence. And this is something I want to draw out. There is a connection to the sort of cumulative weight of sin and the activity of, of violence that happens in the earth. Those two things go together biblically. That phrase filled with violence, it shows up about six or eight times in the Old Testament. And probably the most important one is uh, in the Lord's description of, of uh, Lucifer. Let me just pull this up so I can actually just give you the reference. He describes Lucifer as being corrupt. It's Ezekiel 28:16. And it says he was corrupted by the abundance of this of his trade, which is that's debatable what commentators think that is. Uh <clears throat> But it says, and you were filled with violence. So this archangel who begins to act in opposition to his, the way that God created him, there's some sort of uh, kind of pathway of obedient, disobedient activity in, within him. But the... The, the sin or the rebellion of Lucifer causes him to be, quote unquote, filled with violence. It's an interesting, interesting phrase. So this connection of disobedient activity and this proliferation of violence. If you can think of it this way, it's kind of like um, food coloring. If you put one drop of food coloring into a glass of water, you know, it goes in and it's dark to begin with. And then it just sort of spreads and it colors the whole water. It's, it's the, the activity of sin is the drop, but then it has this sort of viral infection and it's violence in, in the whole of, the, of that place. And that's, that's really what sin does is it, it defiles and it saturates uh, a, a, a people, it saturates um, a culture, um, a nation, and, and biblically, it says it even saturates the land. I just, I just want you to hear this. There is a dynamic spiritual effect atmospherically and physically because of the activity of sin. It infects humanity. It infects the spiritual atmosphere. And it actually infects the very land until when the Lord returns, he actually says he's going to have to cleanse the land of blood guilt. There's about five passages. He's actually going to have to cleanse the planet because of the infectious nature of sin on the planet. And, and, and the point I'm really trying to drive home is two, twofold. One, sin is dirtier than you've ever dreamt. It's dirtier than you've ever dreamt. It's far, far more severe than you've ever imagined. Sin is. It's. It's, I mean, murderously diabolical. It's disgustingly wicked. 
it is putrid and infectious. It's so, it, it's, 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 I can't, I can't even get the terminology out. It's just at the height of, of uh, debauchery, sin is just, uh, it's the worst thing ever, you know. And it, it has this infectious nature that covers basically everything. It's, I mean, it's the consistency of tar or honey. I mean, you touch it and you start getting it on everything and it just saturates everything. This is what sin is. <clears throat> the blood of Jesus is the only antidote to sin. It's the only thing that can fix that putrid, defiling, you know, wicked thing called sin. But when humanity gives itself to sin and it winks at sin, there's this overwhelming kind of flow of this tar of sin that is defiling everything. And you can't see it, but you can feel the effects of it. And so the Lord describes it in the days of Noah. He says the land is, uh, the earth is corrupt, the people and the place, and it's filled with violence, which is this outcome of sin. Well, why is that the outcome of sin? Why is violence the outcome of sin? Because Lucifer himself is filled with violence. And so when you see these mass things happening, and it's not just mass shootings. I mean, when you see human trafficking, when you, when you see the, the um, degradation of humanity, when you see the dehumanization of humanity in any way, racism, human trafficking, mass shootings, I mean, there's so many expressions of this. It's ultimately this antichrist spirit sort of parading itself right in front of us and, um, and and the ultimate sin ultimately the ultimate sin is the denial of the son of God there's there's not a greater injustice than the fact that the son of God is not loved and adored all those other injustices justices are as a result of the denial of the son of God and his rightful his rightful glory and worth and so uh, I wanted to tie that together. When you see this mass expression of violence in one weekend, uh, what's going on there? It's a demonic sort of lashing out because of this defilement. It, it's nothing short of demonic. I had somebody recently kind of laugh at me when I said that racism is demonic. Well, I don't think it's demonic. I think it's satanic. I mean, it's not just some little demon. It is, racism is absolutely satanic. Anti-Semitism being the central version of racism and then every other sort of expression of it, it's all from the same root, and it's the hatred of the image of God. It's, it's Luciferian. It's, it's Satan. Well, we have, this, we have this proliferation of sin, the celebration of debauchery in our society that has continued to heighten. I think about um, 
the way that we treat uh, human sexuality now and what has become normative and what's being taught publicly and what is acceptable. And it's, it is, uh, it's shocking, man. But here's our problem is that the temperature, like the frog in the kettle, it just gets gradually turned up so that this whole thing, like you can't call a kid a he or a she, like there's, you know, there's this whole movement to, to sort of make it illegal if a parent assigns a, a gender pronoun to their child, like, like that is like mind boggling. But it's actually getting normative in our minds because we've heard it so much. Cisgender, transgender, all this language has become normal to us. So we just sort of swallow it and go, well, that's, that's just what's happening now. But I would tell you that the standard of holiness and purity has never changed. And so the further that we are you know, from the standard of holiness, the, the, the greater the wickedness is, but here's our problem. We get so inundated with it, it doesn't affect us. And there is a pollution and a defilement in the atmosphere that even is impacting the church. And there's a callousness to it. I'm trembling as I'm sharing this with you because I... I uh, I have that feeling of being asleep and you kind of wake up and you can't quite wake up. It's like you're drugged or something and you're trying to come out of it and you're just in a stupor. I have that feeling like maybe we're, we're in this stupor and the only thing that's going to wake us up is like a, a bomb hit to our bedroom. Um, so Leviticus 18, again he says, the land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it. So when sin permeates a society, the land is filled with violence and the Lord actually punishes the land because of the sin. And it's, again, another thought that's just wild. We almost have no palate for the God who releases judgment as a result of sin. And that is so politically incorrect to say. And it's mocked. I mean, I read headlines and it's just mocked. And um, the idea that God would do judgment. Well, it's mocked in the church too. It's, it's mocked among the people of God. That the very God that we serve. That the idea that he would do any sort of judgment is mocked. And beloved, I'm telling you. God is not mocked. Whatever a man. A people. Sow. They will reap. You don't murder 60 million babies in the womb and act like there's no price to pay. You don't oppress 
and enslave minority cultures over the years and then oppress in the subsequent years and act like there's no price to pay. To pay. You, you don't, you don't uh, do human trafficking or drug trafficking and act like there's no price to pay. I, my brother-in-law is a police officer. I want to just tell you that. I, I, I'm all for protect and serve and the men and women that give their lives for protect and serve our countries. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. But like, we have areas in our very own city that the police don't go in so all the drugs can go in. And they, they know that, they do that. And that's, that's just how they manage it. And part of it's because they don't have an answer. They don't have a power to fix a drug epidemic. So we have, we have this situation where we're actually legalizing drugs, enabling it, and then in, in different environments, we're actually sort of passively legislating it like it's allowed because there's no answers. And I'm telling you, this sin is polluting us across the board in every place. And it's just, uh, it's a little bit overwhelming. And so here's what we tend to do. We go, oh man, <clears throat> that's so bad in El Paso. Oh, that's so bad. And we stay in the, that's so bad. Our, our, our attention spans about 10 seconds. And then we scroll. Oh, did you see this? It's so funny. Oh, did you see so-and-so? They're going to the thing and look. They got their friend with them, and I like that. And we're, we're getting so conditioned to scroll right past it yeah. that we don't, we don't have a palate to engage with the heart of the Lord. And then we don't have a vehicle to engage with his heart. I'm just talking about church at large. You, you know what I'm saying? Like Our attention span is about eight seconds. We see the headline, e, that's a bummer. Next post, oh, it's somebody's birthday. And we're just, we're just conditioned to move right beyond it. And I would just say this, the Lord of all the earth, his eyes are, his eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth. You know, I mean, he is, he is not at all ignorant of the activity of everything that's happening under the sun. And it's impacting his heart because we recognize that the, the level of injustice is far beyond what any of us could actually bear ourselves. We're conditioning ourselves out of it. We don't actually have the understanding of how to partner with God in it. And, and what I'm getting to is we don't know how to we don't know how to mourn. We don't know how to travail. We don't know how to lament. We don't know how to engage with the heart of Jesus in, in pain. There's, there's two things that I think that we have to do as, as we get closer to the end of the age. We have to learn how to fellowship with the Lord in suffering. And we have to learn how to fellowship with the Lord in the garden. We, we have to learn how to, in that place of bearing the sin and the pain of the, and the shame of the debauchery of humanity that we have to engage with the heart of Jesus and if it, if it, if it has to be then we sweat blood with him yeah. we sweat blood with him 
And, and then there's the other side of it, that fellowshipping and suffering, that when people hate us because of our witness for Christ, that we bless those who curse, and we do good to those who spitefully use us and abuse us, and we love our enemies, even when we're being mistreated. And that right now is so out of vogue. <coughs> Loving our enemies while we're on the other side of mistreatment is so not what the culture of outrage invites us into. And then, I mean, that stands against loving our enemies. The culture of outrage stands against loving our enemies. And then this callousness, it stands against us fellowshipping with the Lord in, in lament and, and mourning over, over the sins of the land. Ezekiel 8, I would encourage you when you go from here or after this moment that we have together, read Ezekiel 8 and 9. Just read it nice and slow. Let the story of it wash over you. Here's, I'll give it to you in a nutshell. Ezekiel is having a, another encounter, just like what he has in Ezekiel 1. The Holy Spirit comes, grabs him. And all of a sudden now, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, is showing him the temple. And he takes him through four scenes where he sees all these abominations that are happening in the temple. To where even... The elders of Israel are, are in the temple with their back toward the altar, worshiping the sun. They're worshiping the sun god. And so there's four different abominations that he identifies. And this different, it, there's, there's more to tease out about that. But the, the point is that because of the, the iniquity of the people and of the leaders, the Lord says, I'm coming to bring judgment. And so in Ezekiel 9, we see these, these angels that are being released to sort of enact this judgment on Jerusalem. And the thing is, the angels are instructed to put a mark on the forehead of those who sigh and cry over the abominations of the land. That's called lamentation. Sighing and crying over abominations. And what happens is the Lord marks these ones. It's, it's At the end of the age, Antichrist is going to put a mark on people. This is the original mark. You know, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's a mark. Well, what we see here is these angels mark those that are gripped with, with, with brokenness over the abominations of the land. And they're crying and they're travailing, asking the Lord to, to break in, to turn it around, to release justice and righteousness and to, to, to release his kingdom and, and, and they're marked and he says this he says don't touch anyone with the mark at the end of the age the Lord's going to release a judgment and the ones with the mark are going to be getting the judge getting judged here in Ezekiel 8 9 he puts the mark on him and he says don't touch any that sigh and cry with the abominations of the land and uh and so I I want to prime my own heart. I'm not acting like I'm, I've got this. I'm Mr. Fellowship and sufferings and lamentation in the place of sin and debauchery and sins polluted the land and violence is covering there. But, but I'm telling you that we have to get not just a grid for it. 
we have to get an actuality in this that we'll hold Jesus' hand in the garden and it doesn't always feel good. Would you, would you agree with me that we're a little addicted to feeling good? We're addicted to looking good, feeling good. And because of that, we're actually missing out on a, a, a real richness of spirituality. And, and, and I would say on the low side, we're missing out on the richness of Christ. And on the, on the most severe side, we're actually missing Christ. We're actually buying into something that's counterfeit. You know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is a, is a true phrase, but it's an incomplete phrase. Because we tend to think God loves you has a wonderful plan for your life, which means our own happiness is going to be preserved and enhanced. But the wonderful plan for your life may mean you will die in suffering, fellowshipping with Christ, just like the apostles did. It may mean you'll learn how to abase and how to abound and can do all things through Christ. It, it, it may mean a whole lot of bitter is coming so that you can actually, actually like the sweet. But we don't like that message because we like to feel good and we like to look good. And, um, and we're sort of just addicted to that in our culture. And we're sort of outraged about stuff that doesn't really matter. And we're callous toward the stuff that does. And I feel like we just it's just critical right now that we've got to regain the potency of our Christianity by getting our heart tuned with his heart. So our heart beats with the heart of Jesus. With a real solid plumb line to the word, to the value system of the kingdom of God. And I mean, you just... You can't get into the Sermon on the Mount unless you go right at the beginning. Blessed are those who mourn. This is 101 Christianity, and we've got almost no grid for it and almost no palate for it. We just don't want that. We just, we just want. I don't know what we want. I don't really know. But I, I don't think we want... I don't think we want that all the time. Let's just say that. I'm not sure what, what we're after. Maybe self-preservation is the, is the thing. So I, I don't think the Lord calls us into lamentation and mourning without a, without a hope. I don't think he calls us into the fellowship of suffering without a redemptive expectation. Uh, I, 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 when he calls us into the fellowship of his suffering, he presents himself and says, I am the reward. Find me in this place of persecution. Find me in this place of, of being, you know, just wrung over the coals Find me in that place, and you'll know me in a way you could know me in no, by no other means. That's the beauty of fellowshipping and suffering. You know, 
saints who are wiser than me have said this, don't waste a moment of suffering by complaining. Because if you will, in the suffering, lean into Jesus, you'll find him in a way in the suffering you could never find him otherwise. There's a whole, there's a, there's a whole component of Christ, a whole portion of his heart that we cannot know unless we find him in the garden, we find him in suffering, we find him in persecution. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, being conformed to his death, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. It's the power of his resurrection that enables us to fellowship with him in suffering that we can ultimately enter into Galatians 2.20, right? Form of the image of his death. This is Christianity, guys. And I I just have a tremble in my heart that we're so Western and we're so performancy and we're so consumer driven that so much of what we present, I'm just going like, I don't know, I don't know, man. I don't know if this show is Jesus. Yeah. I just don't. Because he invites us into something far more rich than, than being entertained. But I think a part of the problem is our palate, what we like, what tastes good to us, is enter we like entertainment. We like amusement. I remember Bob Sorge was talking about Bob Sorge, he's a friend. He has a vocal uh, problem that's caused him not to be able to speak with a normal voice for like 20 years now. And he was a worship leader and a preacher, and he had a vocal injury, and he can't only talk like this. And I, and I said, you know, man, talk to me, man. Like, talk to me about, like, what is this? So he has to get this microphone. He's got a little speaker he carries. He has to get this microphone, and he can talk it to the microphone. And... Uh, and he said, he goes, man, when life serves you bitter, drink it all the way down, all the way through the dregs. And he goes, you know that junk that's left in the bottom of the cup when you're drinking your coffee? He goes, drink all of that. Because there's no other way that you can fellowship with Christ in the depths of his sufferings unless you drink it to the dregs. I want that. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. That I want to know the heights of joy, the ultimate of rejoicing, and I want to know the dregs of suffering. I want the real thing. I want it, even if my palate isn't tuned towards it, I want it. I want him like that. I want him like that. And secondly, I want to mourn and lament the way he calls us to. I mean, there's like 50 to 60 strong verses, primarily in the Old Testament, about lamentation. And it's almost never referenced, almost never referenced in the American church. And I go, God... 
I almost feel like we've treated you like a buffet. And we skipped the vegetables, went right to the desserts. And we've just lived in the desserts. And we're sick and we don't know it. So Joel 1 and 2, it's a call to lamentation and mourning, but it doesn't leave us without hope. And this is my main point that I want to just bring us to now. That when he calls us to lamentation and mourning, he always offers a mercy stroke. He always offers an expectation of deliverance. If we'll go into the, the dark with him, if we'll go into that that, that place of pain with him. And so Joel 1, it's, it's, a, it's pretty fascinating. I really would encourage you. I know I already gave you one assignment, but let me give you a second one. Just to read Joel 1 and 2. Ezekiel 8 and 9, Joel 1 and 2. But I'll, I'll just give it to you in a nutshell. Joel 1, he's prophesying to them and he's saying there have been Four different locusts, plagues that have devoured Israel. It's destroyed your agriculture. It's destroyed your economics. You are in a shambles. Fire is burning over the land because everything has been eaten. And so everything is like completely a wreck. And now you have these fires burning everywhere. And he's saying, what he's saying in Joel 1 is, and this isn't the worst thing. Because these locusts and these armies of locusts that have come and destroyed your land, they're a type. They're a foreshadowing of a greater army that's going to come. It's coming from Babylon. Is this natural, physical, you know, judgment that's happened to you? It's because of your sin. And he says, and it's not the end. There is a massive army that's coming. And, 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 and so he's trying to get them to wake up, wake up, wake up. Come on, come on, wake up. And so then he, he says in verse 13 of Joel 1, gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. The grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. And the reason why is the grain is destroyed and the wine, the grapes are destroyed. It's all gone. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God. And cry out. To the Lord. It says, Alas, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. And then he goes on in Joel 2 Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm to my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Because the locusts work the day of the Lord. It's coming. And beloved, this is what I want us to get. Violence is Filling the earth. Darkness is covering the peoples. 
I believe we will have a gospel penetration that will see revival hit every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And at the same time that that's happening, there will be a gross darkness covering the earth. This the saturation of the virus of sin is going to continue while the gospel begins to get brighter and brighter and brighter. The contrast is going to grow. But the wickedness is going to be overt along with the glory. If you ever hear someone only preach glory, I'm telling you, they're not giving you the whole story. They're not giving you the whole story. Because it says, Daniel 11 says, wickedness will reach its fullness, its height. My point is this. The, the amount of wickedness that's going to happen that's coming to the planet is greater than the earth has ever seen. That will happen simultaneously with the Lord pouring out his spirit on all flesh. I'm telling you, the earth is going to shake. That's why Isaiah said it will reel and totter like a drunken man. Because what's getting ready to happen on this planet is like nothing we've ever seen before. And the call to the church, the call to those that would sigh and cry is sound an alarm. Call a fast. Gather the elders and the priests. And he goes on, he says, listen, he goes, you, he goes, turn to me with all your heart. With fasting and weeping, with mourning, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness, and He relents from doing harm. Who knows if He will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind? And it's in this place of judgment, with an impending day of the Lord coming, He says, fast and pray and call a solemn assembly and seek the Lord. Who knows? And there it is. There's that place for the mercy of God. That God would actually release blessing and glory. But I want to tell you something. You can totally know that darkness is going to cover the earth and that the Lord is going to release glory. You can totally know that and not engage with it. And sometimes I fear that for the, the praying people, like the house of prayer people or whatever, like we do prayer. So we, you know, we're, we got to be in. And I go, do we? Do we? Well, not, not if we, not if we don't do the prayer. Not if we don't do the fasting and weeping and mourning. Not if we don't answer the call to lament. I don't think it's about, oh, my works earn me something, but there's clearly a, a qualifier to get in on what God is offering. You have to engage with what he's doing. Say yes and partner with him in it. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Side note. Verse 16, I've heard that read publicly in stadiums and people cheer. Let the bridegroom go out. Yay! They don't know that that phrase is saying cancel the wedding. Cancel the wedding. 
Because the day of the Lord is here. We're so, I mean, I've heard this passage read and people cheer that line and we're so attuned to celebration that we don't know he's saying no don't do the wedding because of the impending judgment do the do the prayer meeting this is one of the clear governing Values for the house of prayer that we keep the prayer meeting going no matter what. Why? Because we see that the locust plagues have devoured the land. And when the plagues are devouring the land, the call is to fast and pray. So we keep the fire on the altar to engage in a Joel 2 lifestyle because we want to sit before him and ask for mercy like he calls us to. When you see the the destruction of sin in the land, the pollution of the land, when you see the land filled with violence like it is, this is the answer. Solemn assembly, fast and pray. Ask the Lord for mercy. And he, who knows if he'll relent, I believe that who knows, is it's that, that appeal to that name of God, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful. He will relent. And leave a blessing. He says, you, the priests who minister to the Lord and weep between the ports and the altar, let them, let the priests say, spare your people, O Lord. Don't give your heritage to reproach. Why should the nation say, where, where is their God? I want to, I really want to call us to an understanding of spiritual mourning and to an understanding of lamentation. I want to call us to a practice of it where we would actually set before the Lord and say, Lord, it's not okay. It's not okay that people are still getting gunned down. And, and look, I don't care to make this anything. I'm so, I want to throw up. I'm so over this instantly turning into some political conversation. If our partisanship is if it's even close to being on par with our kingdom citizenship, we are completely backslidden. Our kingdom citizenship says sin is polluting us. Repent. Cry out to God. When we put our partisanship up there, well, this law needs to happen and that thing, and this guy needs to say this and that, and I just watched this thing happen on Twitter and they're going back, they're instantly going back and forth. The blood's not even dry yet. And that's a sign of our filth. That's a sign of how polluted we are. They said it, they're gonna have to leave the bodies laying out there to actually do the crime scene. 20 dead in El Paso. There's bodies and blood still all over that Walmart. And the politicians are tweeting platform. That's wrong, man. That's really wrong. The media's running out there to interview people. And people are, what do you think happened? And the guy's like, I can't even talk. I might have lost my mom. We're shoving microphones in people's face for the next viral clip. 
And we're okay with this. I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with human trafficking. I'm not okay with abortion. I'm not okay with mass murder. I'm not okay with mass incarceration. I'm not okay with racism. I'm not okay with any of it. Because the kingdom is not okay with it. We have to find the heart of God right now. We have to find his heart right now. We would learn lamentation. We would learn what it means to get in a place of pain and cry until you're dry. Until the pain runs deep. And not fill it again with another Netflix binge, but just ache. Until he comes and lifts the burden. We have to learn how to hold one another when we're hurting. We just stay in it. We just stay in it. Until it seasons our soul with reality and truth. Until the bitter seasons the sweet. And we have a richness that's real. So tired of this fake, pleather Christianity. It's got to look good at all times. It's got to feel good at all times, or they won't come to our church, brother. It's got to feel good, or they won't come. I don't want to feel good. I want to feel Jesus.